morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru. And today we've got a few announcements about dog guru. First of all, I want to thank everybody who's been listening and downloading because we have reached my goal of 10,000 downloads before the end of the year. We are over 10,000 downloads already. So now my other goal is to have 500 subscribers just from Podbean alone. In the interest of growing and trying to reach more families who are dog owners and have questions they need answered and do some of that today. But in light of all of that, I would like to make my biggest announcement of the week, which is Dog Guru will now be part of the Blazing Caribou Studios network. Super excited about that. Huge opportunity. If you've heard of the show Varmints, that's also with the same network. And want to thank Paul and Donna and obviously Carrie for making that a possibility. In the true spirit of Dog Guru, I am going to do a special episode of Coffee and Canines with some questions I've received over the past couple of days. But in the midst of all of this negotiating and handling some holiday stuff with my family, this is my first opportunity to really tackle it. So anyway, without Without further ado, this is Coffee and Canines, episode nine. First question comes from Carolyn Abernathy of Buckhead, Georgia, and she writes, to my favorite dog guru, you actually trained one of our dogs when we were on the verge of calling it quits. Since your work with him, I always get compliments on his behavior. I found you had this show and I've been listening to all the episodes. I'm all caught up and so is chaos. I guess I just wanted to thank you for working with us when he was showing signs of aggression and bit one of the kids. I do have a question. He's now 10. We're considering adding a new dog to our lives, so we're not left alone when chaos crosses the rainbow bridge. You know him. Is this a bad idea? So glad you've got this information out there for those of us who miss working with you but still need your guidance. All our best, Chaos, Carolyn, and Joseph Abernathy. Hi, guys. I'm so excited that a former client has actually gotten wind of the show because it's not like I peddled this to you guys. So um, anyway... Back to your very important question about chaos. So for those of you who obviously do not know about this particular case, the Reader's Digest version was he was a severe resource guarder. He's a German Shepherd who was a rescue. And once they adopted him and he started coming into his own, he started guarding more and more things within the house. And then one day, one of the kids went to go feed him and he bit them. So we did a lot of rehabilitative work and restructuring. So this way we didn't run into those same triggers. And we certainly started building a better relationship, one he hadn't ever had before. So that's the history on chaos. And he's a great dog. He, you know, when we stopped working together, he was, he was a great dog before we started working together. But by the time we were done, there was a whole new set of communication that he trusted. And it made him, I guess, the kind of lifelong companion they were really hoping for in the first place. As for his now advanced age and the fact that you're considering getting a puppy, I would be really cautious in that process because he was a dominant guy. He he certainly values his people to a level that I could see him trying to guard you guys from the new puppy, even if you brought the dog in. So I think it's going to be one of those case-by-case experiences. You know, you have to weigh how grumpy he is because if he's super grumpy, he's probably not going to be up for having a puppy who's trying to, you know, play with him and bite at him and annoy him generally. And you certainly don't want that puppy to get a bad first experience and association with other dogs short of their litter mates. So all that being said, I would go about this process 
really cautiously. You might even be a candidate for um, fostering a dog through a rescue because this way, if you get the sense that this isn't working out, well, you're still doing a, a service that needs doing and you have your answer without having to go down the breeder route or, you know, just winging it and putting both of them through it. This will give you an opportunity to kind of test it out. And a lot of rescues are really hands-on and if it isn't working out, they'll take the dog right back and you can either say this wasn't the right personality match or no, this is just not for us. My point in saying all of this is you really need to gauge his flexibility. If you still travel and he can handle time and separation from you guys, then perhaps he could handle an adjustment like an, a younger dog. But one specific question I would consider is, has he had to share attention with another dog? Maybe not even in your house. Have you ever brought him somewhere, a dog park or, you know, a, a park of any kind and you start petting another dog and he just gets right in the middle of it. I, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but if he doesn't handle sharing you well, at 10 years old, he's not gonna love the idea of having to do that, especially since he's been the only dog for so long. My other question would be, you know, what's his first reaction when he comes across another dog when you're on a walk or another person? How does he interpret that? Is he defensive? Is he accepting of it now? You know, there's been a lot of time between when we worked with him when he was younger and now. So you have to take all of this into consideration because if his first inclination when he sees another dog or another person, even someone somewhat familiar, and that turns him off, probably not a candidate for another dog. Again, this isn't so much because you have a dog that's aggressive. It's more how set in his ways has he become and how many triggers do you want to add to his plate when he's older and he's not exactly in a place where he wants a lot of change. He's kind of like an old man. I don't know where his emotional status lies. So you're first going to have to wrestle with that and figure out the answer to some of those questions. And then the last thing you need to consider is if he has any current disabilities or impairments, be them visual, uh, when it comes to hearing, if he's got hip problems, anything like that. Because if he is already struggling, having a puppy to deal with on top of that is more likely to end in some sort of aggressive behavior because the dog's already in pain and drained. So that's something else to be mindful of. But if you start kind of looking around and perhaps you foster a dog and it really seems to click and it's fine, great. If the dog has any physical disabilities at this stage or impairments or doesn't have a good reaction to strangers who you try and expose him to, probably not the best idea. I'm so glad he's come so far and that he's st still doing well and that he is 10 years old at this stage and you still have him, love him and are enjoying him. And now you're thinking about his needs before adding another dog to, to the family. So if you have any specific questions after you've heard this, go ahead and email those to me so that I can address those as well. So thank you guys. Okay, our next question is, Dear Dog Guru, I heard your segment on pit bulls. Would you recommend them for families? Yes, my answer to that is yes, but I ha I'll qualify that answer with what's your family like? Do your children listen when you offer them a strong, no, 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 don't do that to the dog. Do you intervene when they're doing something they shouldn't? Um, is the dog for them? 
or for the entire family or does it do you have a specific purpose in mind like is this going to be a dog that you're trying to use to protect property is this a dog you want to use for therapy work you know what are the goals for this individual dog the reason i say all of this is this breed has had a lot of flack in the past decade or so and while I want a family for every pit bull that needs one. <laughs> I also want that home to be a permanent fixture instead of them getting bounced around or destroyed because people were negligent. They didn't train them. They didn't educate themselves. They didn't care for the dog well. Uh, all of this can really affect behavior and mental state and make them out to be something that they really aren't. So you have to kind of make a small checklist of the things that I just mentioned, because, you know, it's one thing to add another dog to your family, but if you aren't gonna socialize that dog extensively, if you aren't going to go through training classes, if this dog is gonna be meant to guard your house, it's just really not what I would choose. Because if, if you don't do your due diligence, that could end up being another number against the track record here is basically what I'm saying. But if you are planning on doing all of those things and you want to be really invested in this dog and you have realistic expectations and you're not just going to leave him in a yard, I think it could be a fantastic breed. You know, I have a pit bull mix. He's awesome. Best dog I've ever had in my whole life. But I spent a ton of time socializing him and exposing him and working with him and all of that made him the dog that he is. It wasn't something that I just got lucky and he's a nice dog. No, he needed a lot of exposure. He needed a lot of reinforcement and he definitely needed somebody who's patient and used positive reinforcement, which I always, always push because positive reinforcement doesn't put the, a dog in a defensive state of mind or a defensive state of alert. You really need that to be lacking in a relationship with your pit bull. You want complete trust there and you definitely want an open dialogue so this way you're paying attention to their body language and they're respecting what you say when you say it they're not robots they're very opinionated in fact but this isn't a breed that you just get because you want a family dog this is a breed that you're going to have to try and help the rest of us replace the stigma they have by having them in a good social place and that they're not going to end up on the news, you know, at three or four years old because you haven't gone through the appropriate steps of owning this dog. I don't look at this breed as an aggressive breed. I look at it as a fault of man. You know, I really think that we drop the ball. So when it comes to adding a dog to your family, ask yourself the questions I mentioned. And then if you still really feel like you're ready to jump, the best thing to do is look into uh, Pitbull Rescue or organizations. They're very focused on finding the right dog for the right family rather than just winging it. And um, there are so many pit bulls out there that need homes. So definitely look into rescues prior to ever considering a breeder because there's millions of amazing pit bulls in rescues and mine is a rescue. So I'm speaking for all of them right now. As far as when you're getting a dog, just speaking generally, not about pit bulls specifically, you need to be really mindful of what kind of training you intend to use to 
educate the dog. You need to be considerate of what your schedule is like during the day, how many hours you're gone each day. A lot of breeds, in fact, in my opinion, all breeds need one-on-one. -on -one. They need exposure, they need consistency, and they need somebody who can put up with the trials and tribulations of owning that specific breed. I know my pit bull, huge chewer when he was a puppy. I mean, superior level chewing. A lot of dogs who have powerful jaws, well, they need to chew just as much as he does. So, you know, you, you need to be really diligent and prepare yourself for what breed you're getting into and all that goes with that. Dear Dog Guru, we think it's time to have a dog or puppy join the family. Should we adopt or go with a breeder? I have four boys, so what should we avoid even looking at? How do I know if the breeder isn't is going to scam me? Lorella from Alberta, Canada. Hi, Lorella. Um, okay, so, you know, I'm gonna be honest. It's a layered and long and grueling process. I'm actually going through this myself right now. And to find an excellent breeder, the first thing I recommend is going to the breed club. If you have uh, an individual breed and you've, you've narrowed it down to a singular breed, first go to the breed club for a list of reputable breeders. As far as breeds that you should just not get involved with whatsoever, you know, none offhand jump out at me. I think that really depends on, like I was saying earlier, what the parent supervision and, and involvement is gonna be like in this process because some dogs are just not as flexible as others. But as far as what breeds to not look at at all, it, that kind of depends on what your daily dynamic is like. If you are an active runner and you want a running buddy, then a dog that has more energy would be well suited to your family. But then if you, you're just kind of the kind of person that gets off work, comes home, wants to relax on the couch with a dog, Mastiffs might be a better fit, or even Danes tend to be pretty big couch potatoes or greyhounds. So as far as going with a breeder, that's a personal choice if you decide to do that. I always encourage adoption, but I understand that there are certain family circumstances that mean that for an individual family, it's just not what they want to do. They want to know lines, they want to have pedigrees, they want to have an experienced breeder as a resource. So I can see it from both sides. You could contact breeders and even if they don't have available puppies, they may have a dog that they're willing to finally retire now that they've found a really good home. So that's something to be thoughtful of. In regards to answering your question, how do, how do I avoid being scammed? Well, I'm gonna tell you, the only way is by educating yourself, getting referrals, uh, as much information as you can gather. And even then, especially when you're dealing internationally, there can be things lost in translation. So it just, it really depends on where your risk is. You know, I try and learn as much as I can about a breeder and then I contact the breed organization for that breed. So when I'm doing my homework, that's how I fact check. That's how I make sure that there's a good reputation there. I'll ask for things like health certificates, uh, OFA ratings, all sorts of things. So for me, I really get under the hood and I recommend that everyone who has the time to do that, do it because with certain breeds, you don't want to cut corners at all. You want to know where the dog came from, what the dog's upbringing has been like. And ideally in all breeding cases, you would have that, but that transparency is really important to me. Okay, our next question is, Hey dog guru, I was wondering why you don't recommend other methods aside from positive reinforcement. I think dogs should know who's boss and who's in charge. Do you ever dominate them to get a better result or use a pinch collar, slip collar, 
collar for the hard cases. Connor Hamill, not sure where he's from because there's no location. Okay. The reason I recommend positive reinforcement is because of what I mentioned a little bit earlier, which there's no threat to the dog, be it physical or emotional. And emotional damage can be just as difficult to change and rehabilitate as a broken hip and surgeries that would follow. So I really feel that this is the least risk for the biggest payoff. And in my experience, I haven't come across a dog it didn't work with. There have been a couple of cases that I turned down for other reasons, but it certainly wasn't because I thought the methodology would fail me. I, it was more because I knew the dog wasn't in a place where it was going to get trained. <laughs> I've always had a softer approach when it comes to animals. I have horses as well, and I've learned that structure is a really valuable part of that relationship and keeping it clear, keeping it simple, not overcomplicating things for an animal. But I can also tell you that a harsh approach, while on the surface you might believe that you're getting the same result. To me, the way you got there matters. The journey matters. The structure and the way that you appear in your dog's eyes, all of those things really matter. And if you cut corners and skip the important steps that make up the relationship you have in front of you, then they're kind of like robots at that point. And to me, it is in our place to deprogram them from their natural instincts or not allow them to be animals or dogs or pets. You take out the relationship element of a dog-person relationship, then it really isn't a relationship at that point. It's just a dictatorship. And I wouldn't respond well to that if I were a dog, but certainly I don't generally respond well to it as a person either. I don't have this approach simply because it's the only one I've learned throughout my career. It's not. It's just the one that I felt like aligned with my moral code as a, a, as a trainer. I know plenty of excellent trainers out there and not all of them are positive reinforcement only. But for me, that worked with what I needed to address. If you have an anxiety case, coming down on them harder and making them more fearful isn't gonna work. The other main focus of my career was aggression cases. And you certainly don't wanna be aggressive with a dog that's already showing aggression. You're going to amplify the response and more than likely get injured. So it's just not wise to handle things like that. So based on where the focus of my company was and at the same time, my ideals as a trainer, that's what makes me gravitate towards positive reinforcement. I've never seen a dog that didn't improve with that consistency and that relationship that I really, really emphasize with the owner so that when I wasn't in the picture, that relationship still was. They could build on that. They could learn new things together without me, without even having to call me because there was a language going. And I think when you have somebody that's evaluating behavior specifically and trying to put order to a chaotic experience or behavior a dog is doing, you have to do it in stages. And you can't just make the assumption that you, that you can use any methodology at any level of severity expecting the same response. Especially when, in my mind, when I'm thinking about aggression cases, that's just absolutely, that's a no-go. I'd also like to point out, we've had a reformation of previous techniques and methodologies, and we've in large part realized that they don't work with the dog. It doesn't work to help the relationship. It certainly 
isn't the only method that works that we know of. And for me, it's like, well, I'd rather be at the head of the curve. I don't want to be stuck in the dark ages trying to assume dominance over an animal. My dogs like me. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not afraid of me. When I think about a relationship, I even bring that all the way back to my home. And it's like, you know, what kind of relationship, would I, what kind of language and feedback would I want my dog to have? Do I want them to be terrified of my existence and be dreading my return home? Or do I want them to be happy about it? Do I want to motivate them and help them enjoy the learning process? Do I want them to be there for me all the time? If the answer is yes, then I have to put my half of that puzzle together. My next question says, first of all, it's from Lisa, no last name, no location, but she says, Dog Guru, have you considered training trainers? I'm a trainer, but every time I hear your podcast, I realize there's a lot for me to learn even after four years. If you have a program like this, could you tell us on air what it's called? The quick answer to that is no, I, I don't. I, at one point, had a mentoring portion of my company, but I now do consulting work, but it kind of ends there. I've consulted with trainers, I've consulted with dog owners, but I don't go to people's homes and I don't run full-blown classes anymore. But to answer your question, no, I don't have a mentoring program. I want to say that I'm thankful that you have listened to the show and you're learning from it, but short of that and some consulting work, I'm, I'm not doing any sort of mentorship, at least not right now. Our last email says, Dog Guru, we have a new puppy, Lila, an old English sheepdog, but our other dog, Chuck, who happens to be four years old and a stray, not sure what breed he is, seems to be getting into it more and more with her recently. At first, Chuck just avoided her, but now they're getting into it, and yesterday kind of made me nervous. Chuck seems really upset. Should I return the puppy? Will they ever get along? What's wrong with Chuck? He loves doggy daycare, but he still hates Lila. We thought he would love a buddy. Need your input on this one. London R, no location. The biggest difference between your home and doggy daycare is doggy daycare is neutral ground, and your home is his territory. So right there, I can tell you, especially if he feels like she's taking over, that's gonna cause some problems. And another thing is if she's kind of annoying him and nobody's intervening, that's gonna get to him and eventually he's gonna snap over that. So, um, you know, he's four years old. He's not too old to adjust to another dog, but it sounds like he would prefer to be an only child, I would say. I, I haven't seen the dynamic. It could be as simple as he's just getting annoyed by the puppy and he needs some space. It would be who of you to start training the puppy and trying to gain more control and have some management going in your home and give Chuck a bit of a break and see if things calm down. But if they don't, then Chuck may not be fond of having a sibling. I wouldn't go straight to giving up the puppy. I would try and relieve some of the pressure that Chuck must be feeling and start focusing on getting the puppy to behave as best you can. See where that gets you, you know, take it from there. <clears throat> if you really feel like it isn't working, then at least you gave it a real shot. But without seeing the behavior, and you can send me a video if you want to, but without seeing the behavior, I don't know if he doesn't want anything to do with this dog or if it's more of a, an adjustment period and he just feels taxed by the dog. I mean, he's not an old dog, so 
I think your chances are better of getting this to work. I would certainly spend some time on trying to make sure that there's a balance within the home and that Chuck doesn't feel like his home that he's had to himself for four years has been invaded by a puppy that's just getting away with murder. Reevaluate after you've ha after you've been through that process a couple of weeks. But he probably does need a break. You might even think about putting up some baby gates where he can chill out by himself and if the puppy's kind of all over him, it can give him some physical space and a boundary that the puppy won't give him naturally. Because it sounds like the puppy isn't responding to whatever body language or verbal cues that the dog is offering. If that's the case, the puppy needs to be worked with and Chuck needs a break. So thank you to everybody that wrote in. I hope that you guys continue to do that. And this is where I remind you that if you haven't rated us on iTunes, please do so. The higher the rating, the more exposure we get. Again, uh, we will be joining the network Blazing Caribou Studios, so you can look them up online as well. If you have any specific questions for me, feel free to email me at dogguruhereforyou at gmail.com and check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash dogguru_podcast. You know we're on all the podcasts apps and Spotify and all that good stuff so you can find us on all of those platforms and enjoy us there. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. Mm -hmm.